strike three. Wow. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Yes! Optimism. Pass it on. So, how childlike have you been lately? If you're watching this, obviously you're not able to join us on Sunday morning. And what that means is that unfortunately you're missing a very special event, a very special time in the life of a church, and that is that a, a dedication for uh, baby Caleb Dietrich. Ben and Kyla have chosen to do something that we as a church strongly encourage parents to do, and that is dedicate their children and dedicate themselves to raising their children in a Christian home. And it's a wonderful time of celebration. But with celebrations like that, with major events like that, I think it's important to not immediately then change the subject or the tone. So whenever possible, I like to try to use the theme of what's going on in that celebration and carry that into my preaching, and that's what I hope to do today and this week. We're going to be celebrating a child, and so I think it's fitting to spend some time discussing children. Now, most times that pastors say they want to discuss children, we actually end up discussing parenting. And I get that the two are inextricably linked, and I understand the motivation from pastors when we deviate from one into the other, but today I really want to discuss children themselves. Specifically, I want to reverse the way we think of kids. Most of the time we think about teaching kids and being good role models as adults, but I want to spend some time exploring what we can learn from them. There are plenty of sermons you can find about how to teach children, but very few about what we can learn from them. And, and that's criminal to me because the Bible and the Gospels place great emphasis on children. And how do we know that God values children above all else? Well, He doesn't exactly make grown-ups, does He? There's a great story about a father who came home with a toy. And he summons his children and asks which one of them he should give this present to. I want you to decide, he tells the children, which one of you is the most obedient, which one never talks back to mommy and does everything that they're told to do. You decide together who's going to get the toy. There was silence, and then the kids huddle up and have their discussions, and they come to a consensus. So they return to the father, and he says, all right, what have you decided? And the oldest child says, well, you asked which one of us behaves best for mommy, so we decided that you should keep the toy. There's a video that hopefully you'll get to see at the beginning of this, if my video editing skills are at all getting any better, hopefully you'll see it. If you're listening to this, unfortunately, you'll only have heard part of it. I love that video, though, because optimism is contagious, and no one is more optimistic than kids. There's another great story about a child who's watching his team play baseball. The man walks up and asks, how's the game? The boy replies, well, we're losing 18 to nothing. The man tells the kid, well, don't be discouraged. The kid says, why on earth would I be discouraged? My team hasn't even been up to bat yet. One last story. A little girl crawls up in the lap of her grandpa and cuddles close. Then she looks into her grandpa's face. With her big blue eyes, she says, Grandpa, 
can you please make the sound of a frog? So Grandpa goes, ribbit, ribbit. And then she goes, no, no, Grandpa, can you make the other sound of the big frogs? Grandpa thinks, and he goes, oh, okay. And he goes, croak, croak. And all of a sudden, the little girl jumps off his lap and runs into the kitchen screaming. And she goes, we're going to Disney World. We're going to Disney World. And her, her mother says to her, honey, what on earth are you talking about, about going to Disney World? And the little girl, who's just beaming with joy, says, well, you said when Grandpa croaks, we could go to Disney World. It's one of those jokes that when I tell it in person, there'll be groans from a few people. There's plenty we can learn from children. But by far the most important thing that we can learn from them is how to be childlike. Jesus makes clear that the more we grow in our faith, the more we will grow to be childlike. The closer we grow to him, the closer we come to resembling a child. And while very many of us are childish, none of us are childlike enough. See, the religion of Jesus is the religion of a small child, amazingly simple and yet unfathomably complex. One of our scriptures today from Proverbs tells us that if we start children off right, then when they're old, they will not turn from it. And again, volumes have been written by people far more qualified than me about how to start children off right. Plus, my kids are, are just getting started, and so I have no idea how poorly I've started them off, but I'm sure I'll find out soon. And so I want to stay away from that, and instead I want to start by discussing children's ministry. Not ministry to children, but ministry by children. And there is strong biblical evidence for ministry by children. Ishmael had a prayer ministry. Samuel had a ministry of helps. David had a ministry of praise. And David also had a ministry of deliverance. And those are just from the first few books of the Bible. And all of those happened while these people were children. Now, quick side note here. Have you ever noticed that God seems to play favorites with younger siblings? There's this tendency that God has to use younger siblings over older ones. And if you think about it for a minute, you'll know it to be true. Particularly in biblical times, being the oldest son was a very big deal. It was your birthright. It meant that you were in a position of authority. But over and over again, God shows favor for younger siblings. Moses was younger than Aaron. Joseph had ten older brothers. King David was famously so young that his father didn't even think to present him to Samuel. Jacob became the father of Israel over his older brother Esau. Gideon was the youngest member of his family. Solomon had older brothers, and yet God chose him to succeed his father. This is even true for the very first siblings in history, as God accepted Abel's offering over Cain's. And maybe I'm getting a little bit off point here, but I've got to tell you that as the oldest male in my family, I don't love the trend that this sets. But back to the topic at hand. There are many other examples of children being used by God, but the point is that none of us is too young to be ministering and working to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And of course, we all know that because we all heard my sermon last week. We were all paying attention fully, right? 
No one is too young. And that's what we established last week. But now we discover that not only is being young not an excuse, it's actually the ideal. We are all called by Christ to be childlike. So I guess the question then that begs is, are our ministries as a church childlike? I'm not asking if our ministries are reaching children. I think we have a pretty clear history of that. What I'm asking is if our ministries have the optimism and energy that children bring. If you're watching this, I want to commiserate with the parents of any young children for a minute. I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, I'm exhausted. (laughs) I was warned. People were clear that kids are exhausting. But I think there should be some kind of waiver form that you have to sign before you get to have kids that makes clear that they're going to come with a level of tired that legitimately makes a person wonder if it's safe to inject coffee intravenously. Someone asked recently where kids get their energy from, and I opined that they suck it straight from their parents. I think compared to kids, all adults are tired. But joking aside, energy is contagious. Kids attack life with vigor, full steam ahead. And so I wonder how might the church look different if we all adopted a childlike energy? How might evangelism and missions work? How might the world respond to energy that is that contagious? Because becoming childlike instills a divine energy, a spirit-filled energy. And let me tell you, a childlike, spirit-filled energy doesn't fade. One of the other things that becoming a childlike person and a childlike church does is that it leads to pure, unadulterated worship. You ever watched a kid who's fully engrossed in a song or a dance? There is just no, there's, there's nothing else like it. They immerse themselves in completely. One of the things Kate and I appreciate most about this church is that we're not only welcome, but expected to allow our daughters the freedom to be themselves in church. Abigail and Charlotte express themselves, sometimes cranky, sometimes happy, but always with gusto. There's a story about a man who had a dream about a church service. In his vision, He saw the organist vigorously playing the organ, but no sound was heard. The choir and congregation began to sing, but their voices are not heard. Then the pastor began to pray, but no words came from his lips. So the man turned to his angel guide in bewilderment. The angel said, you hear nothing because there is nothing to hear. These people are not engaged in worship but only in the form of worship. Their hearts are not touched. And this silence is the silence of an unbroken heart in the presence of God. Going through the motions. Then the angel says, but listen again. And as he listened again, the man heard one small voice, the voice of a child, distinct in all that silence. Only the child's voice was heard because only the child's heart was touched. That, 
says the angel guide, is the only true worship in this great church today. All the others are concerned about the appearance of worship, but that child has allowed God to touch its heart. Humble, convicting. And I want to be clear that I do not think that's our church. But I do think that the truest form of worship may come from children. I don't often try and put one, use one biblical translation over the other, but I chose specifically for one of our passages today to read it from Eugene's, Eugene Peterson's translation because I love the way he expresses how Jesus responds in this scripture. It's a clear, unambiguous statement. Yes, I hear them. As a father, it is an amazing thought to me that Jesus so clearly says that he hears my baby girls. And then he goes further. He actually quotes the Psalms when he says, from the mouths of children and babies, I'll furnish a place of praise. A place of praise sounds suspiciously like a church, doesn't it? So if Jesus says that the mouths of children and babies are what he'll use to furnish a place of praise, then we can be assured he's going to furnish the church with them. He will furnish his church with laughter. He'll furnish it with their yelling. He will furnish it with their wonder. And he will furnish it with their energy and with their pure, unbridled joy. But if we go back earlier in Matthew, Jesus actually goes a step further. He tells us that not only will he furnish a place of praise from the mouths of babes, but he goes so far as to say that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. See, that's the thing about our God. He routinely sees value in the things that we perceive as worthless. And all too often we undervalue children. We are too interested in their potential and not involved enough in their worth. As we move forward, I pray that we may adopt heaven's perspective. Now, if you notice, Jesus uses somewhat curious language when he gives one of his most famous rebukes in all of Scripture. He says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these which is a strange phrase. But he chooses it, I think, specifically because he makes clear that the kingdom of heaven doesn't just belong to children, but to people like them. And therein lies our call to be childlike. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you and I if only we can have the faith of a child. And so, how childlike have you been lately? Children are kind of like seeds. Often, it isn't much to start with, but man, God takes that and we don't have to stop where we started. In God's economy, the seed is important. Our faith is the sowing of the seed to expect a miraculous harvest. Because just like in the feeding of the 5,000, little becomes much when it's placed in the master's hands. And all of this brings us back to the scripture from Proverbs. 
If you start a child off right, even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We look at that verse linearly. We say, okay, raise children right, and they'll be good grown-ups. But what if we reverse engineer it? Rather than assuming that as adults we have it all figured out and that children should emulate us, what if we adopt the perspective we were just talking about, the, the Jesus perspective, and realize that we're supposed to emulate them? Well, then this verse carries a whole new meaning. Start a child off right and they will not stray from it. Start off right and perhaps the way to stay true is to simply not grow up. Growing old is, a, is not a choice, but growing up is. At the men's Bible study last week, we were discussing something that really gave me pause as I prepared this message. We were discussing John's account of the same story we're given in Matthew 21. John tells it from a very different perspective than Matthew does. But Matthew gives us a tidbit which is important. In John, John gives us a far more descriptive one. He talks far more about what Jesus did and how he clears the temple out. Jesus finds the money changers and merchants in the temple and realizes that this is a corruption of what the temple is supposed to be. And he goes into a righteous fit of anger. And using a whip, he angrily clears out all of these merchants all these people that are sullying this place of worship. And every account of that in the Gospels tells it the same way. Even Matthew, while not giving us as much detail, says the same thing. But Matthew gives us a detail immediately following. What happens immediately after Jesus clears out the temple? We read it in Matthew 21. Jesus kicks out the people who are not there for the right reasons. He cleanses the temple and then when the religious leaders saw this, they say to him, what about all these kids? Do you hear how they're yelling? And Jesus responds in just the most Jesus way possible. He says, he doesn't say, no, you know, he doesn't say, they're fine, let them be. No. He says, yes, I hear them. And from their mouths, I will furnish my place of praise. Jesus doesn't just go in and clear out what's not supposed to be in the temple. As Christians, we have this tendency to focus on what we are not. We tend to focus on the things we shouldn't do. We tend to focus on all the things that are, are not a part of our life. And sometimes that's okay. But Jesus does both. He says, here is what doesn't belong, and now let me tell you what does. And he is talking about a place of praise. He is talking about his church. And he says, these money changers, these merchants, they don't belong here, but you know who does? Children. Because from their mouths, I'm going to adorn my church. Jesus makes clear that children are not the future of the church. They are the now of the church. Children are the church. Christ opens his arms up to them wide and says that in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, we should become like them. 
So, how childlike have you been lately? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to develop a trust and faith in you that reflects the simplicity of childlike faith that so rejoices with your heart and which is so evident in the lives of little children and yet which seems to evaporate into a vapor as soon as we reach the age of maturity. May we develop a wonder and an amazement at the glorious redemption story and a deep humility as we approach your holy throne of grace to ask for help in our time of need. Forgive us for losing so much of the wonder that you instill in your creation and in the incarnation. Forgive us for becoming complacent about the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Renew in us a deep reverence for your holy name as it befits our great and glorious creator. Help us in the days that lie ahead to examine our hearts and see if we've become too lukewarm to the things of God. Renew in us a childlike spirit of awe and wonder and energy so that once again we may marvel at the wonder of who you truly are and draw us ever closer into deeper intimacy with you. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, when it comes to benedictions, I try and change things up and have some diversity, but when speaking about children, it seems only fitting to me as a father that I leave you with the benediction and with a blessing that is my daughter's favorite. If there's one thing Abigail loves, it's this benediction. And so, I pray today that this benediction will serve you and that you'll hear it with a sense of childlike wonder. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.